Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. This is Speakeasy with Deneen, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm your host, Deneen Milner. You may know me as a co-host of A Seat at the Table on GPB-TV. I'm also a mom, a New York Times bestselling author, and I run a website called MyBrownBaby.com. Speakeasy with Deneen is a podcast that speaks to a specific topic, and we dive into how it affects the African-American community. Welcome. And just so you know, this is a podcast for grown-ups, so you might hear some explicit language. Today, we're talking about love. And to start, let's head into my home in Atlanta, where the view is amazing. We are right now on the balcony deck of my apartment in Midtown Atlanta, uh, kind of West Atlanta, near Atlantic Station. And I am looking at this spectacular view, which was the view that convinced me that this was the place that I needed to be when I decided that I wanted to get a divorce and be on my own. I don't know if I'm really ready for a relationship with anyone, but I do know that I am ready to love Deneen exactly the way that Deneen needs to be loved. And this is one of those, um, one of those moments where uh, I'm thinking about it constantly in my life. In what ways can I love myself wholly, fully, unapologetically um, in a way that I've never done before? So we're going to go inside now um, so that I can finish up my gumbo. I'm making a big old gigantic pot of gumbo for my girlfriends, Ida and Joyce. We're going to come over here and have a war council with me on dating in Atlanta and what it takes to be in love in a city that seems like the odds are against us black women. This is good eating right here. I'm telling you, you're going to hurt yourself. Smack somebody's mama. I'm going to make sure I'm not standing near you when you taste this. My girlfriend Joyce shows up with her daughter ready for some gumbo and girl talk. A few minutes later, my other friend Ida arrives. All three of us have something in common. We're single black women living in Atlanta, and it's not easy. When we talk about love, I think about a survey from a few years ago. The Martin Prosperity Institute analyzed census data and found there are roughly 80,000 more single women than single men in Atlanta. We wanted to dive into this as part of our dinner. After we finish the main meal, Joyce, Ida, and I take the war council from the kitchen to the dining room. As we eat cookies and talk, something occurs to me. There haven't been any men at this table since I moved in. Joyce thinks this is absolutely unacceptable. Wow, Deneen, that must change. We'll see. Well, what would change that? That question from Ida is the million-dollar question. It's one I've been thinking about a lot lately since I'm dating after being with my ex-husband for more than 20 years. That's two decades, y'all, and dating has changed. 
a lot. Now, I'm not ready for a committed relationship, but I still want to feel valued. What happened to dates at concerts and walks in the park and homemade dinners? Let's head back to the War Council. Going out with a guy, we had made plans. I went away for vacation. I hadn't seen him for almost three weeks. He texted and said, hey, I really miss you. I'd really like to see you. Now, before I went on vacation, I kind of felt like I had been put into this box, this, you know, like this booty call box. You know, I'm going to... Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right. I'm going to spend exactly, you know, just the amount of effort I need to Mm -hmm. have sex with her. And then that I'm going to make just enough time in my schedule for that act and then find a reason to be gone. Which, you know, y'all know how that feels. You know how that feels. Yeah, like shit. Right. It's horrible. Um, and I don't understand why they don't get that. Like, duh, I noticed it. I'm not stupid. I'm grown. My friend Ida sheds a light on what might be holding some men back. You got to remember who you are, right? right? <laughs> I'm goddamn Deneen Milner. Be clear. Very clear. And so they know that, too. Right. And so... When I'm dealing with a Deneen Milner or a Joyce Davis, it's like this the bar. It's this standard that I have to meet. If I can't meet that, but I still want to engage with a Joyce Davis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or a Deneen mm-hmm. Milner, mm-hmm. if I got some good d- That'll keep me going. With, for a minute. For a minute. Not forever, though. For, not because forever. You, you will get cut off. Maybe. Well, that's, that's maybe what or was, maybe not. That's what was happening yesterday. You will get cut off. Maybe by J- Joyce Davis, but for other Deneen Milners of the world, and but hey. they're not Deneen Milners then. No, no. Let me tell you something. Your pussy <laughs> and your heart has two separate brains. I agree. Loneliness is a beast. My friend Joyce makes the point that she'd rather be lonely than used. I've gone two years without mm-hmm. somebody seeing me in my boudoir. So I, I want to feel appreciated. Mm-hmm. And if I go a long time without feeling appreciated and I'm seeing somebody, snip, snip, snip. I just, I don't want to feel underappreciated. I don't want to feel taken for granted. I would rather be alone. And that's a terrible thing to say because loneliness makes you trip out. Yeah, Yes, right. Loneliness makes you, I mean, it really impacts your self-worth, your happiness, your ability to parent well, your health. I mean, you know, it's a mental thing. Loneliness is a mental thing. But I would rather risk that than be just consistently up under some dude who just does not appreciate and are taken for granted. Like, you know, I, I guess I've gotten to us, and I've been in those situations mm-hmm. where I have let that go on for a long time, but I'm 47 years old. Right. No, no, ma'am. No, sir. Right. I know that I can be all right by myself. Or, and I know, and I also know, because I'm 47 years old, that it ain't going to be forever. Right. It might be a month. It might be six weeks. It might be a year. But it ain't going to be forever. Right. As much as I don't want to say this, um, it's it's just true when you have these dope ass women out here 
that are like beyond overachieving. You know what I'm saying? It's really hard for the the the, the average man to meet that mark. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I I really do think think that that's part of the issue is that um they themselves are insecure in that particular way when dealing with you know a work a, a woman right of of just just substance substance yeah you know um and I, I often think it's easier for them to default and then i also think too is that women are so abundant like you said right yes ma'am right. you know what i'm saying um there's so many to go around. I see myself coming and going all the time. And I'm like, oh, she is dope. I meet a lot right. of dope women. Right. I have a lot of, you know, acquaintances, a few really close friends. But I have right. a lot of acquaintances who I'm like, dang, you bet. If I was a man, I'd be trying to get with you, too. Right. So, if you right. know, if you got right. five of those at your disposal, right. you know what I'm saying? There's no need for you to act right. <laughs> basically. That's basically what you're saying. Basically. Right. Basically, and again, when when they want you, they want you. They want you in the worst way. I just wish that men would believe me when I say, listen, we can be human and treat each other like human beings, and I don't need a ring. I do not need to walk down the aisle. I do not need to have a baby. I'm good. I did it for 20 years. And mind you, before I got married... I didn't date a whole lot. I didn't have a whole lot of, um, you know, relationships. I just didn't, you know. Um, And so this is new for me. And I'm going to get to the point where I can say, hey, this is what I need. And I came very close to it yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to try my best to enjoy being Deneen and being Deneen and Learning to love Deneen in all of her splendor and gloriousness and figure out what it will take to get someone to understand what it means to be invited to this table. Getting invited to the table is just one hurdle in a relationship. Making a relationship work for years well, that has its own hurdles. Atlanta-based author Tayari Jones's latest novel digs deep into what can shake a relationship to its core. I loved An American Marriage because it speaks to modern-day black love in the midst of social injustice. The story has gotten a lot of attention for its beauty and insight. In the book, Tayari tells the story of a young, successful black couple living in Atlanta. They're dealt a serious blow when the husband is arrested for a crime he didn't commit and sentenced to more than a decade in prison. This couple is forced to stand the test of racial injustice. And Tayari talked with me when she was still living in New York City, but now she's back in Atlanta teaching at Emory University. Tayari told me why she wanted to focus on love and social injustice in her book. I knew that I wanted to write something to engage the question of mass incarceration, but I was always interested in the way the collateral effects, the way it ripples out, uh, more so than like a novel about someone in prison. I knew I wanted to look at the ways that it affected the families, the way, um, particularly wives and mothers. And so I went back home to Atlanta, and when I was in the mall, I heard a couple arguing. I heard the woman say, 
Roy, you know you wouldn't have waited on me for seven years. And he kind of pushed back from the table and said mm. to her, I don't know what you're talking about. This wouldn't have happened to you in the first place. And when I heard that, I was intrigued by the way that it felt like their romantic experience had been intersected with, you know, the question of criminal justice. Like they were arguing as a man to a woman, but they were also speaking against the backdrop mm -hmm. of incarceration. Right. Oh, wow. And so this that, that all it took was that one sort of spark in the middle of a mall in Atlanta for you to be able to draw the stories from the research that you were doing. Yes, because I was really intrigued by what she was asking. I mean, she was saying, would there be reciprocity? And he was saying it's irrelevant because, you know, there would never be an instance where that reciprocity would be called for. And that I felt like was a I realized in that moment that the argument they were having is an argument that lots of couples have. It's just that it was turned up to 20 for them. Like, I mean, how many women have said to men, what would you do if the tables were turned? Would you like on questions of, say, infidelity, right? Like there is an expectation that men have a little more wiggle room with that. And the woman would say, well, what would you do if the tables were turned? And he's like, yeah, but these tables don't turn. So it gave me a familiar place also to start to write the, instead of thinking of my characters as in this totally foreign experience that I know nothing about, I realized that their experience is really the question of an American marriage. Mm. Mm. It's about equality. It's about compromise. It's about work-life balance. Like, how much of your life do you give to your relationship and how much do you use to pursue your own dreams? How does that change if your husband is not only incarcerated, but wrongfully incarcerated? Right, right. I find it ironic that the conversation from a man's perspective is it's not the same. You would never have to deal with what we deal with. Um, and you know, that's not statistically true, right? There's the the amount of black women incarcerated is uh, soaring in um, here in America. And I wonder if we would get the reciprocity. The number of women in prison is rising at a very quick, at a very high rate. And it's because, you know, private prisons, they have to be filled. And we've kind of almost reached capacity with men. So there's a new population mm -hmm. to um, to imprison. But the question of reciprocity, people who work in prisons will tell you that women take care of the entire prison population. I mean, they take care of sons in prisons, husbands in prisons, daughters in prison, that that care, because when a loved one is incarcerated, basically you serve as a caretaker to that person and caretaking generally falls to women. Right. And so we're the nurturers and that doesn't change when someone is imprisoned. That's love. Right. And also taking care of the kids. That's also a huge thing that falls onto women. Um, you know, one in every 28 American children has an incarcerated parent, which means they are probably being reared and cared for by a woman. Can love withstand injustice? You know, I think that it can, but I think that... A lot of our expectations, particularly about incarceration and the idea of, you know, the man being taken away, this is um, 
this is a way of looking at things that dates way back. I mean, in high school, didn't you read the Odyssey? Like Odysseus is away all those years. And what he wants is for he wants to come home to a chaste woman and a clean house. And in an American marriage, this is what my character Roy wants. He wants the same thing that a man was lobbying for in like 60 B.C. Mm-mm. Um, I do think that love can withstand it, but I think that it would have to be, um, well, I think it's a lot of things. But one, I was thinking a lot about, you know how they say that for black people, you have to work twice as hard for everything. And I feel that. This is true also relationship-wise, that this young couple in an American marriage, what is asked of them is superhuman. They, For their love to sustain, they were only married 18 months, right. and he's given a 12-year sentence. And for that romantic relationship to survive would require them to be superheroes. And that's a lot to ask of anyone. Mm-hmm. And I feel that for women... The superhero contribution is normalized. Like if you are anything less than a superhero, you are a failure. Right, right. And particularly in a black community that expects black women to show up, right? Like to not just simply love her man, but to love the black community enough to stand by her man. At the expense of everything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, in an American marriage, Celestial is an artist. Her career is taking off. I feel like Celestial wants from her life the same things I want from my life. But a lot of readers push back and they're really angry with her for daring to live. It's almost as though her success is at her husband's expense. But I don't think that that's a fair way to read her life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Another underlying theme that struck me was how much hope is the heartbeat of love. Um, You know, like Celestial hopes that her husband can get justice and his freedom. Roy hopes that Celestial can move past the devastation of a decision they made during his first months in prison and really hopes that it hasn't ruined their love or her hope for him. And then Andre, their mutual friend, and at some point Celestial's lover, hopes the woman he's loved since childhood will love him back. So why is hope necessary for this particular couple and what makes it so hard to maintain? Well, love is a gamble. Love is such a gamble. And for anyone to love is that you have to put faith in something that you can't control. And that's what luck is, that hope. Hope is faith in something that you can't control. And I think it's true for all couples. I think with these couples facing such incredible odds, they have to lean more on faith and hope that it'll all work out. But you know what I think they learn? I think they learn that love, as Celestial says, you can never unlove someone. It it changes form sometimes, but it's still there. And I think they all had to learn to be less rigid about what it means to be loved, that love is not owning another person, it's not control, it's not a possession. It's a deep caring. Love is wanting someone else to be You want the best for the other person, not only for your purposes of your own satisfaction. Mm -hmm. All three of them had to learn to give to the others and hope, as you will, hope for the best and that the best may not look the way you thought it would. 
can you imagine if we all looked at love and hope in that way? <laughs> How much better I mean, off we would be? Th- this book really challenged me with these questions. I think also, you know, with it being about marriage and everyone likes to think that marriage is about sexual fidelity as though that is the only measure of love and care. And these, I mean, I feel like the challenges they face with Roy's incarceration, with his early release, with um, Celestial having another lover in Andre, whom she's loved since they were infants. Mm -hmm. And they all had to stop and rethink and let go of some of these toxic ideas about masculinity, toxic ideas about um, ownership. They had to, when you face an incredible challenge, sometimes you just have to hit the reset button and think about things differently, right. more expansively. What's the message about love and particularly the truth of black love that you're pulling in this storytelling? I didn't feel that I had to write this book to defend black love or to make a kind of a propaganda picture of it, that the complexity of this love is enough to justify its prominence in my thoughts. But one of the things that I was really interested in is that how many different ways people find their lives together. People get off to rocky starts. People get off to smooth starts. Like love is a human interaction and it is vital to our lives. But one thing that I had a lot of fun with was looking at the generational gap in the question of love and marriage. I feel that the younger people believe that they should be happy in their marriages and their parents think that's a silly luxury to think you're supposed to be happy, happy, happy. I think the parents think that you're supposed to be satisfied and sustained, but that happy seems like such a luxury. But I think that is what the sacrifices of the earlier generation gave the younger generation, this expectation of joy, fulfillment, equality. And that's part of the struggle, I think, in trying to decide how do we love in the face of injustice? How do we sacrifice? How much sacrifice is too much? And, you know, what are we allowed to hold back for the love of ourselves? Because self-love, I think, is a very important Black love. That was Tayari Jones, author of the award-winning An American Marriage. It's a beautiful love story about a couple that has to figure out love, hope, and truth in the face of adversity. I've spent my entire career exploring Black love, Um, Black love uh, that's shared in the community, Black love as it relates to a couple learning how to love one another, Black love as a mother loving her children and loving them through a society that doesn't necessarily give them the regard that we reserve for children. And so it's it's beautiful to be able to sit and talk and commiserate with someone like Tiari Jones, who uses the written word to shine a light on what we know is true, that black love is true love, that we love hard, we love strong, we love thoughtfully, we love ourselves, we love our community, we love our babies. And to have a book like An American Marriage shine a light 
in the way that it did, in the way that Tiari chose to tell that story, just lets me know that Black love is alive and that the keepers are still here. The keepers of the truth are still here. So I so appreciate Tiari and her work. Um, she's done some fabulous work, but she just, she really laid it down with um, an American marriage. And it's inspiring to me as a mother, as someone who loves love, wants to be in love, and loves hard and strong. I'm Deneen Milner, and you're listening to Speakeasy with Deneen from Georgia Public Broadcasting. Now, let's hear from an artist whose music embodies Black love. That's Atlanta-based artist Denise White, who goes by the stage name Avery Sunshine. The song you're listening to is the ice cream song. Avery wrote it for her husband, Dana Johnson. always adored Avery Sunshine, but when I saw her and her husband performing this hit on NPR's Tiny Desk series, I wondered what it took to write a beautiful love song, particularly when a lot of the music we hear isn't really about Black love. We asked them to share some of their love music magic. Writing a love song is, it's simple for me because I, I'm speaking about my experiences. So I don't have to look very far. Thankfully, I don't have to look, I don't have to depend on what's on the airwaves (laughs) or, you know, on YouTube or anything for it. I I am tapping into my experiences and those love songs, the, the love that I have with my husband, the love for my parents, the love for my children, the love for my sister. Elements of a good love song to me are the honesty, um, uh, the way the the way the song moves melodically, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you just know it when you hear it. Uh, one one of my favorite love songs is uh, uh, the system. Don't disturb this groove. Pay attention. I felt when I heard that song, I wanted to, I wanted my knight in shining armor to 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 to, to sweep me away on some roller skates or something. You know what I mean? Don't disturb this groove. It made me feel like I was 
if I want my husband to sing this. As a matter of fact, sweetheart, at some point I need you to sing Don't Disturb This Group to me. When you propose to me again, I want you to sing Don't Disturb This Group to me. It makes, there's something about a love, when a love song. It's an amazing song. And, and it's, it's interesting you say that, like that we're kind of in this like, mid 80s kind of thing with like SOS. Oh man, yeah. Yarbrough and Peoples. Uh, who else? Were, I mean, yeah, and, and, and all that where it was, st- it was still funky, but it was still funky, but there were, there were love songs, <laughs> you know, and I think, I think there's room for it all. And you know, what's hard though, as a, from, I will say what is hard as a writer is the thought that I need to divorce myself from those things, the 80s and the 90s, in order to be present in, the, in 2018. And for whatever reason, I'm not able to. Forever's just not long enough for us to be together. The process, when, when I'm writing a song, it, it varies. There are times when the, the, one of the first love songs we wrote it, it was called uh, 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 Forever is Just Not Long Enough. Baby, I could just go on and on, but I don't have time. It's just not long enough. It's just not long enough. It was our first tour. I'd drive, we'd switch off, I'd drive, and Dana would be in the passenger seat with a guitar. And he started playing bump, 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 bump. That was, that had to be 2010. And we just finished the song this year. Forever's just not long enough for us to be together. Hey, a month of Sundays could go by With me gazing in your eyes A story that we rarely tell. I was going through a divorce when we met and he was my friend and he helped me through my divorce. Between my dear husband and my best friend who I was on the phone with when we saw each other, Maia, the two of them helped me through my divorce. I I speak about writing songs about my experiences. That was, that was it. Then the ice cream song came in no time. I almost sang the same old tune too long. But you came right on in all sweet and strong. You are the perfect chord in my song. Yes, you are. Now I I said, when we get married, I want a song that I could sing to you. And I wanted him to know how important he was to me, how important this thing was, because we said we would never get married again. I'd give up ice cream just for you. I'd sell and when I tell you I love ice cream, I could eat ice cream and I have no meat. I don't, I don't have to have nothing else. Give me ice cream. I want white turtle ice cream from Brewster's. 
and I want to watch them make it. And they mix it with the pecans and the caramel. I want to watch you make And then the caramel, the caramel doesn't, it doesn't harden. It stays nice and fluid in the ice cream and, and goo, just goo. That's, that's, the, that's the word. That's the word. Gooey. And so it's, mm, it, mm, mm, mm. I'm trying to tell you, if I give that up, I mean, and it, again, it took no time to write that song. Yeah, that 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 makes me feel pretty nice. He's so sweet, but in, but I think that is what it is about our relationship that makes me even love him more. He, that's genuinely who he is. He's not putting on. He's and he's clean. He's like, yeah, that makes me feel nice. That's Atlanta-based artist Avery Sunshine. We also heard from her guitarist and husband, Dana Johnson. And that's it for us today. But we want to hear from you. What's your favorite love song? You can reach us at speakeasywithdeneen.com. I'm Deneen Milner. Kiosha Howard and Sean Powers produced the show. Sarah Shariari is our editor. The theme music is by M. Fassol. We heard additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Speakeasy with Deneen is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to us for free at gpb.org forward slash podcasts and anywhere you get your podcasts. And until the next time on Speakeasy, be easy. Be easy.